and uh, welcome to uh, Mercia. Welcome to this month's uh, Audit and Accountancy uh, podcast. My name's uh, Phil Frost. I'm delighted to be with you just to talk to you about some company law changes. Company law changes that are really affecting December 21, March 22 year ends. Now, the changes to company law actually took place some time ago, but it's only now that they are beginning to bite, given that people are beginning to deal with their December 21, March 22 year ends. And it's because of that and because of conversations that I've had with people on courses over the last uh, week or so that these uh, these matters, I think, are particularly pertinent just to remind you of. So changes Company law changes, as I say, affecting your December 21, March 22 year ends. Now, these changes have come about because the UK has left the European Union. And they may seem quite inconsequential changes to start with. But of course, if they affect your clients, then of course, it's something that we need to be looking at really quite carefully. So I'm going to take you through four changes that affect company law and then just look at one wider issue for those that might be on international accounting standards. But in the main, we're looking at company law and we're looking at uh, companies preparing their accounts under UK Companies Act and following UK GAAP. So the first area I'd like to uh, talk to you about is in relation to Section 184 of the Companies Act. And Section 184 deals with the definition of an ineligible group. Now, the change is such that an ineligible group is now one which has within the group a quoted company within the UK, traded on the UK market. Now, that used to be that it was traded on an EEA market. So it's actually the definition has shrunk to say it's actually only a company being part of a group where the group has got an entity, probably the parent company, that is quoted that is traded on a UK market. So as I say, smaller than uh, than was the case before, but I want you to think particularly about this instance, where maybe you've got a UK subsidiary, and that UK subsidiary is a subsidiary of a Dutch, French, German parent company, and that German or Dutch parent company is quoted on their market. Now, In the past, that meant that the UK subsidiary was part of an ineligible group. However, now, for strictly periods beginning on or after the 1st of January 2021, December 21, March 22 year ends, that UK subsidiary is no longer part of an ineligible group. Which means what? Being part of an ineligible group means there are certain things that you can't do. You cannot take advantage of being small. And one of the things of being uh, of being small is that you can take advantage of FS 102 1A and having reduced disclosure requirements. So Dutch parent company quoted on a Dutch stock exchange, UK subsidiary, that UK subsidiary is no longer an ineligible member or is no, no longer part of an ineligible group. And therefore, they can follow FRS 102 1A. So in last year's accounts... December 20, March 21 year end, they would have had all of the disclosures that FRS 102 requires, including things like cash cash flow statements. That is no longer a requirement if we're following FRS 102 1A. Subtle little change, 
but for, for those who've got it, it's an important little change. Reduce disclosure requirements following the disclosure requirements under FRS 1021A, rather than uh, having to do the full rigours of FRS 102. And I'm sure clients will welcome the fact that they are not required, maybe encouraged, but not required to have a cash flow statement. So that's the first area of change. The second area of change concerns dormant companies. Now, in a letter to all corporate entities in the UK, the Financial Reporting Council, together with the government's, well, the government's Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, um, joint letter, that letter said a dormant company can no longer take advantage of applying for an exemption for preparing and filing accounts where they are a subsidiary of an EEA parent. So the, the change is that you can now only apply for that where you are a dormant subsidiary of a UK parent. So again, it has shrunk, shrunk in that it's only dormant subsidiaries of UK parents that can apply for this. So anybody that is in the past dormant subsidiaries and has applied for this exemption with an EEA parent can no longer do this. Now, my experience is that not many people did apply for this exemption, but what is, what's, what's raised its head here is that a dormant company, dormant subsidiary of a UK parent company, can apply for an exemption from preparing and filing accounts. And what a lot of people have been saying to me, I didn't realise that, that that existed, Phil. Didn't realise that we could pl- apply for an exemption. And we've been preparing dormant company accounts for these clients for years and charging them uh, a, a small amount for the privilege of doing so. Should we stop doing that? Well, have the discussion with the client. And in having the discussion with the client, you're going to give them an option. Shall we prepare and file dormant company accounts or shall we go through the rigmarole, and it really is a rigmarole, shall we go through the rigmarole of applying for an exemption from preparing and filing accounts? Now, it is a rigmarole, as I say, because what you'd need to do is to get the form from Companies House. It's not one that you can fill in and send off electronically. It's one that you would need to print off, fill in. I think it's a three-page form. Fill in, put names in, have signatures in, and send that off to Companies House and apply for this exemption. Now, the time that it takes to do that is probably a lot longer than preparing and filing dormant company accounts. So if I were in your shoes, I would continue to explain to the client that it is possible to do that, but do you know what? It's a lot easier to continue with the dormant subsidiary accounts, preparing and filing them rather than applying for the exemption. Now, what really sort of pins me for that particular approach is this. What you have to do is you have to apply for that exemption every year. If you could apply for it and say, look, whilst ever we're dormant, can we have the exemption? And you do it once and that lasts for a good few years. I would do it. But the fact the, the fact is, is that you have to apply for this every year. And because of that, I don't think it's really worth our while applying for the exemption. But as I say, it's reared, it's reared its head because of this letter that went to all corporate entities, one or two picking up on that and saying, I didn't realise we could do this. Well, you can do it, but it's probably taking a lot longer than otherwise would be the case. Third thing I want to pick up with you uh, is in relation to intermediate parent companies. 
Now, intermediate parent companies, generally speaking, will not prepare consolidated accounts. I want you to imagine that you've got A owning B and B owning C. B is the intermediate parent company. Now, in, in the Companies Act, Section 399 of the Companies Act says that if you're a parent company at the end of the accounting period, then you are required to do consolidated accounts, which is fine for the ultimate parent company. That's in Section 399 if you're a parent company, which actually, if we, if we read no further, that would extend to intermediate parent companies. But thankfully, we've got Section 400 and 401, which flow on from that and say that if you're an intermediate parent company, you can use either 400 or 401 such that you don't prepare subgroup accounts. Now, the change is that Section 400 used to cover EEA and 401 used to cover non-EEA. So imagine you've got A owning B, B owning C. B and C are your UK clients. They've got a parent company, which might be UK, might be the European economic area, or might be further afield. And as I said, it used to be EEA and non-EEA, Section 400 for EEA, non-EEA was under Section 401. The change is that Section 400 only now covers the instance of a UK parent. So the intermediate has got a UK parent as opposed to the intermediate having a non-UK parent. So there's no change where you've got A limited owning B limited, B limited owning C limited, and they're all in the UK. B limited will continue to put on the face of the balance sheet. We've not taken we've, we've not prepared group accounts. We've taken advantage of Section 400. If B limited and C limited had a American or Canadian parent company in the past, they would have been saying on the face of the balance sheet, we've taken advantage of Section 401. We've not prepared group accounts. The changes where you've got a B limited and C limited with a parent company within the EEA. Last year, you'd have been making reference to Section 400. This year, like the B limited and C limited with the American or the Canadian parent company, you'll be, you'll be making reference to Section 401. You'll be saying, we've not prepared consolidated accounts. We've taken advantage of Section 401. Now, overall, overall, <clears throat> that appears to be really quite an innocuous change. Last year, I referred to Section 400. This year, I'm re referring to Section 401. However, we need to be alert to the fact that Section 401 has some requirements, and Companies House might be quite vigilant in checking these requirements. So what B Limited, B Limited and C Limited, UK companies with a parent company outside the UK, in B Limited saying we are we are not preparing consolidated accounts, we've taken advantage of Section 4, 401, they are in essence saying that we and our subsidiaries are consolidated, so rather hoping that there is indeed a consolidation required in the French, the German, the Canadian, the US parent company, or wherever else it may be. So we're consolidating into those accounts. And those accounts are publicly available. And in fact, when we're submitting our accounts, be limited to Companies House, we're going to be sending a copy of those accounts to Companies House with, where necessary, an English translation. Now, Companies House can sometimes just turn a bit of a blind eye to this, to be honest with you. And, and some of you might uh, be in that position where you've not sent the accounts. Companies House have never asked for them. Or you have sent the accounts and Companies House have just accepted them. But the issue is that when you haven't sent them and Companies House ask for them 
And you now then go to your parent company, which is outside the UK, A Inc. or A, <coughs> a, a GmbH in Austria or something like that. Uh, and they said, no, no, we, we don't want you to put our accounts, even with an English translation, on public record in the UK. Which then, of course, means that B Limited, with its subsidiaries, would need to do some group accounts. And possibly by the time they've realised, we're a long way down the filing. In fact, we might have used up all of the nine months and we may we may now be sort of late in filing, filing those accounts. So just look very carefully in relation to that one. The fourth one uh, changes. The fourth change is in relation to Section 479A of the Companies Act. Now, Section 479A is a guarantee from a parent such that the subsidiary doesn't need to have an audit. Now, the changes that Section Section 479A used to allow an EEA parent to guarantee the liabilities of a subsidiary doesn't need an audit. The changes, as far as UK law is concerned, the guarantee can only come from a UK parent company. Obviously, within Europe, they can have their own guarantees, um, but we need to have the guarantee under Section 479, Section 479A, from a UK parent company. So, situation. Uh, situation is, let's say you've got a Dutch parent company, you've got a UK subsidiary. The Dutch parent company has for years been giving a guarantee and saying, look, you don't need an audit subsidiary, don't have an audit. Uh, we will guarantee all of your liabilities, whether they be intercompany liabilities, which of course will get sorted out anyway. But even if it's external liabilities, current liabilities, non-current liabilities, liabilities that are not on the balance sheet, such as your operating lease obligations under FS 102 not capitalised. They would be capitalised under international accounting standards, but not under UK GAAP, or indeed any potential contingent liabilities. So you're guaranteeing those liabilities at the balance sheet date. And that applies even if you don't guarantee next year. Um, Maybe you've got eight years left on the lease. If you've done the guarantee now, that guarantee will last for the remaining eight years of the lease. So a UK parent can give that guarantee to a UK subsidiary. You can't, as a UK subsidiary, get that guarantee from an overseas parent anymore. Equally, a UK parent company cannot give a guarantee to an EEA subsidiary anymore. It's just within the UK as far as UK companies are concerned. So at Mercia, we are a subsidiary of Wilmington. Wilmington is a UK parent company. And as they're a UK parent company, they could continue to give us a guarantee under Section 479A. Had we been owned by a Dutch parent company, then the Dutch parent company would no longer be able to give the guarantee. Now, those areas that I've just talked in terms of, four areas where you've got the change of definition of an ineligible group, where you've got the dormant subsidiaries, uh, whether or not you need to prepare and file accounts, whether you've got the intermediate parent company, or indeed whether it's Section 479A, all of those have come to the fore over the last few weeks when I've been talking to people. First one was Section 184. Ah, we've got a UK subsidiary that is small, 
It used to be part of an ineligible group. Let's say it's a Dutch parent company that is quoted, but they are no longer ineligible and can take advantage. The firm that uh, realised that was delighted that they would be able to have that reduced disclosure. Had one or two questions in relation to the dormant uh, subsidiaries as well. But just one little instance which actually pulls the other two together where you've got the intermediate parent company and Section 479A. Scenario is this. Let's go with the Dutch parent company. The Dutch parent company has an intermediate parent company which has then got six subsidiaries. So Dutch parent company, then UK PLC. UK PLCs have got six subsidiaries. Now, in the past, the Dutch parent company was giving all of those six subsidiaries, the six trading subsidiaries, a guarantee. They didn't, they didn't need to have an audit. Now, the Dutch parent company is kind of wanting to continue to give a guarantee, and the UK directors probably wanted to receive a guarantee. And I've had that, where both parties parent company and subsidiary directors want to have the guarantee, but can't have it. Company law does not allow it. But the situation was this. Those six subsidiaries with an intermediate, now the intermediate company is a UK company. Now, Section 479A says that you can get a guarantee from your intermediate. Uh, well, you can get, an, uh, get a guarantee from a, a UK parent, which could be an intermediate. It doesn't have to be further up the chain. So the situation I had was that uh, Dutch parent had been giving those guarantees to the subsidiaries, and they'd realised that that couldn't happen anymore, but that those subsidiaries could get the guarantee from an intermediate parent company. So they were merrily thinking that the guarantee could continue, but getting the guarantee from the intermediate parent company. Until I said to them that one of the criteria under Section 479A is not just that you get the guarantee from a UK parent company, but the UK parent company, which is the intermediate one in this instance, would have to do consolidated accounts and have to have an audit. And they didn't realise that that was the case. So, yes, you could get the guarantee from the intermediate, but the intermediate would have to do consolidated accounts. And then quite separately, we're saying, actually, we don't normally go with intermediate parent companies having consolidated accounts. So the bottom line in relation to that particular situation was that either the intermediate parent company did do consolidated accounts and had an audit of the subgroup such that the subsidiaries could have a guarantee or that the subsidiaries now had an audit. So I hope those four have been helpful, yes, in terms of the definition of the ineligible group, the dormant subsidiaries of a UK parent probably continuing to prepare and file uh, dormant company accounts, and then those issues in terms of intermediate parent companies and the Section 479A guarantee. So they are the four areas I really wanted to talk to you about. Let me also just say to you that uh, the changes that came about for December 21, March 22 year ends, extend also to those that are on international accounting standards. Now, it used to be the case that in following international accounting standards, we had to go through a process which meant that the international accounting standards were rubber stamped by the EU. And we say in the accounts that they are EU approved. 
We've now kind of left that routine, but in the UK, we are now rubber stamping them ourselves. So if you're on international accounting standards for your December 21, March 22, just put in there that you've followed, where this is relevant, of course, that you've followed international accounting standards and they have been approved by the UK Endorsement Board, UKEB shortened, but they have been approved by the UK Endorsement Board. Now, where we're at with quoted groups and where we're at with those who choose to follow international accounting standards is that that is still permitted in UK company law. There was, of course, a chance that having left the European Union, we could have what we could have done in the UK is to say, ah, our quoted groups can now follow UK GAP. We didn't do that. The reason why we have in UK company law a rule which says we follow international accounting standards for quoted groups is because of European Union company law. Now, we've continued with that. We haven't changed that. We're still saying that quoted groups will prepare accounts on international accounting standards. But it's just that subtlety of saying that it's UK approved as opposed to EU approved. So there we are. I hope you found that useful, interesting, relevant, my usual badges in terms of uh, making sure that what I say to people uh, is helpful. And uh, we'll leave it there and look forward to uh, being with you on a subsequent monthly podcast uh, on the audit and accounts side. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks for tuning in. See you again.